Good morning. So good to um, see everyone and yeah, good to see a few new faces here this morning. If, if I haven't met you, my name's Sam um, and it's just awesome to have you here with us uh, today. Uh, how good has this Kiwi summer been? It has been so good, beautiful, so, so hot. I love the hot weather. The only uh, annoying thing about the hot weather is having a haircut like mine. I sort of go out to check the mail and I'm in risk of getting a burnt head, which isn't cool. But uh, I've certainly enjoyed, enjoyed the time to just refresh and recharge and I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm excited that we are back. And uh, how many people here have made a New Year's resolution this year? Show of hands, show of hands. One, two, three. Oh, not too many. Um, well, I hate to burst your bubble... But statistically, 92% of you won't complete that resolution. But 8% will, so you can look at it glass half full. Uh, I haven't made one yet personally, but New Year's resolutions are things that I've done uh, in the past. Like I've heard it say that if you want to make a change, why wait till the beginning of the year to make a change? Which kind of is true. But also in saying that, I sort of feel like we have these marker points and these end of seasons, which is a really healthy time to kind of take stock and reflect and think about what was and reorientate and realign for, for what's to come. And as I was planning this message, I was reflecting on some of my past uh, New Year's resolutions and they were a little bit embarrassing, uh, to be honest. Um, I'm going to be ripped this year as uh, one I've had several times and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's eventuating, it's still eventuating, or I'm going to smash these goals this year as a, as a typical one, and not that these things are bad things, they're usually rooted in a, in a desire for positive change, but I've sort of been reflecting, what about if our New Year's resolutions weren't so much rooted in the material things, but what if they were rooted in who we're becoming spiritually? What if they're rooted in how we're living out the call that God has on our lives? What, are they, what if they are rooted in having an eternal impact? What if we were going into the year thinking about what it would be like to be ready to meet our Saviour? Because I'm think, I've been thinking about this thought, is that one day, each and every one of us is going to stand before Jesus. We're going to stand before our Lord and King, and it's going to happen one of two ways. We're going to be here when He returns, that could be one way, or we're going to pass from this life and go to heaven, but we are going to meet Him. And either way, I've been thinking, I want to be ready for that moment. I want to be ready to meet my king face to face. I want to be ready to meet my saviour face to face. I want to be ready. And if I'm here when he returns, I don't want him to return and me be lacking in zeal. I don't want him to return when I'm kind of drifting on the back burner. I don't want him to return and me being lukewarm. But I want, to, I want him to return like with me growing in faith. I want him to return when I'm at my most passionate. I want him to return with me ready, at my post, ready for his arrival. And in the scripture... Jesus actually tells us to be ready. He tells us to be living our lives ready as though he could return at any moment. We do not know that time, but he tells us to live our lives with a posture of readiness. This is what he says in Luke 12. He says, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Be dressed for service. In other versions it says, keep yourself girded. And, and that's kind of referencing that in that time, servants would wear these long gar garments and to be girded was this like posture of being ready. And they would keep their lamps burning because they didn't know when the master would come home at night. He says, then, then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready 
and waiting for his return will be rewarded. There's a reward for being ready. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. We do not know. But whenever he comes, he will reward again the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You must be ready all the time. Say all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. You must be ready all the time. He's urging us to live our lives ready, to live our lives ready with a posture of faithfulness, with a posture of service, with a posture, posture of zeal, because he could come at any moment. And so across the series, each week we're going to be exploring what it looks like to live our lives ready. Each week we're going to be looking at some different things. And today I'm going to be talking about commitment. So the title for today's message is, I'm ready to commit. I'm ready to commit. Uh, you know, earlier this week, on Friday actually, I had the privilege of attending a wedding. Uh, and apart from not being able to fit into my suit pants, um, I used a little paper clip, which was a little bit embarrassing. Uh, it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. Blaine and Annalise from our wedding, uh, from our church got married, and everything about it was so special. They had the most beautiful weather. They had an awesome venue. Uh, the food was amazing. The company was amazing. Everything was perfect. But for me, the thing that I love most about weddings is the ceremony. Time and time again, I always feel like I feel it in my heart, that moment in the ceremony, there's something so sacred and special about two people standing before each other and committing their lives. It's something so deep. It's, it's this moment of them saying, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing to give myself fully to you. I'm choosing to say no to everyone else so that I might say yes to you. And in the Bible, God often uses this, mar uh, this marriage analogy to explain Christ's relationship with the church. He calls us his bride. He calls us his beloved. It says that we are the ones that he gave everything for. It's this picture of intimate, wholehearted, reciprocal commitment. And I've been challenged in my life with this question, am I as committed to Jesus as he is committed to me? Am I as committed to Jesus as he is committed to me? Because you see, Jesus gave everything for us. He's totally committed to, committed to us. He stripped himself of all of his divine rights. He took on the, the form of a man. He lived the life as a humble servant. He was born in a feeding trough. He, was, he endured persecution and suffering, and he hung on the cross for us. That is how committed he is to us. He gave everything to us, and I feel like sometimes we can take that level of sacrifice a little bit for granted. Sometimes we can take what he's done a little bit for granted and not reciprocate it, with our own, own devotion, you know, often we can give Jesus a portion of our heart or a piece of our lives, but he's given everything to us and it's meant that he would have our full devotion in return. You know, imagine if at that wedding I was at on Friday, if uh, when they said their vows, um, if, Blaine, if I sort of said, do you take uh, Annalise to, to be your, your wife? And she said, I do but I still want a little bit of Bob uh, every now and then and uh, maybe Ricardo in the summertime and 
you can have me on these days, but uh, on, on Saturdays, that day's free. And we, we kind of laugh at that example, but in the spiritual sense, that's exactly what we can do with our relationship with Jesus. We can say, hey, you can look at these parts of my life, but don't talk to me about that. Or you can have this portion of my life, but that, that limits off bounds. Or I can give this amount of time to you, but this, this period of time's mine. And um, that's not how it's meant to be. The, the Apostle James talks about this in James 4. This is what he says. He says, you adulterers, very strong language. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And he's not talking about friendship in the world as in loving people. He's, having like, he's talking about having your affections tied to the world system, trying to fit in with the culture of the world. He says, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, if you want to fit in with the culture and customs and worldly pleasures, um, you make yourself an enemy of God. Like they, The two can't go hand in hand. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. God is passionate that the spirit that is placed within us should be faithful to him. God does not want to be your side thing. God does not want to be one of many things. God is passionate that the spirit he's placed in us would be faithful to him and being totally committed to God, it's actually the essence of the Christian faith because when we've got God in that place of God, it orders everything else. When Jesus was asked by a religious leader of the time, what is the most important commandment? What is the, the essence of, of the faith? This is what he said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's talking about wholehearted commitment. It's talking about pursuing God with our whole hearts. And the thing is, God is searching for hearts that are fully committed to him. God is looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. In 1 Chronicles, it says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other versions, it says his eyes run to and throw throughout the whole earth, searching, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to them. We need to commit. So what does commitment mean? The, dic the dictionary definition of commitment is this, the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity. The state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity. Commitment means to be dedicated to something. Commitment means to be devoted to something. And when we know what we're committed to, it orders our life because we know where our priorities lie. We know what we're saying yes to. And then that means we know what we're saying no to. And the thing is, is when we start to commit, we become effective in the most important things because our energy and time is focused. That's kind of like if you think about the example of a light, diffused light is not very strong. But if you concentrate light, it has tremendous energy. Like if you put a magnifying glass, a sun's rays can light can light grass on fire or a, a laser beam focus can cut through steel it's when we focus our attention when we commit when we direct our lives we are so much more effective rick warren one of the the great church leaders of our time i believe says this he says nothing shapes your life more than the commitments you choose to make your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you but either way they will define you 
tell me what you are committed to and I'll tell you what you will be in 20 years. We become whatever we are committed to. We essentially become the commitments we make because they're the choices and the patterns that we form over time. And so I want to talk today about three things that I believe we need to commit to if we want to be found ready, if we want to be found ready when we meet Christ. Uh, The first thing that I believe we need to commit to is we need to commit to gathering with our local church. We need to commit to gathering with our local church. When you look at the lives of the disciples, one thing is super clear they were committed to gathering. They were committed to gathering. Uh, the, the, the Jewish custom was to meet on the Sabbath day, which was a Saturday. And after Christ died and rose from the dead, the early church decided to have it on the day Jesus rose, which was a Sunday. And that was a work day. But they were so committed to gathering that they would gather before work and then they would gather again after work for a communal communal meal. When you read through the scriptures in the in the book of Hebrews, the author actually says, do not neglect meeting. And the context he's writing that in is when the church is facing ex- extreme persecution for meeting. They could literally uh, lose their lives. They could be ostracized, but he would encourage them together because it was so sacred. And, and the word church literally means assembly. It's us gathered together. It's, it's so important. Listen to how the book of Acts describes the first community of believers. It says this in Acts 2, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. They were committed. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They were together. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together, there's that word again, at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's just so clear that gathering, that being together, that gathering together for meals, that gathering together to worship, it was just paramount. It was such a staple. And and I've just been thinking, do we share that same view? Do we hold gathering to worship? Do we hold gathering with, with each other in as high esteem as the early church does, because I really believe the best thing or one of the best things you can do for your spiritual health is to make gathering a rock in your life, not something that you come to every now and then, not something that you come to once a month, not something that you come to when it's convenient, but to say, for me, this is a rock that I'm building my life around. Me and my family, this is a rock. We gather, we worship, we we gather in homes. It is one of the best things you can do in your life. Listen to what Rick Warren says about this. He says, if an organ is somehow severed from its body, it will shrivel and die. The analogy that the Bible uses of the church as a body, he says, it will shrivel and die. It cannot exist on its own, and neither can you. Disconnected and cut off from the lifeblood of of a local body, your spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. This is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent attendance at worship services and other gatherings of believers. When we become careless about fellowship, everything else begins to slide to. 
that is how important gathering is. It's how God's designed it. We are not meant to exist on our own. We're meant to be a body. And what's true for us, it's also true generationally, that, what, that, that the patterns that we have in our lives, those of us who are parents and grandparents, that is what will form our kids' patterns. And if we have like rhythms of gathering, if we have that as a rock, that's likely something we're going to pass on to our kids. But if we don't have that as a priority, we need to think about what we're passing on to the next generation. And hear my heart on this, I'm not saying it as a religious duty, it's not a tick box, it's not something you have to do. I'm just pastorally challenging us as do we esteem it with the weight that it deserves. Like I love, we, we, we can often try to justify things, but the truth is, and this quote rings true to me all the time, you make time for what you value most. You will make time for what you value most. And if gathering isn't something you make time for, it's just communicating that you value something else higher. So you make time for what you value most. I love how bluntly the All Blacks sportsmen have a way of doing this. Richie McCaw says it. It's either a priority or you make an excuse. This year, make a decision to commit gathering with your local church. The second thing we need to commit to if we want to be found ready is we need to commit to, being, to, to serving. We need to commit to serving. If you want to look more like Jesus, just become a servant. The essence of who Jesus was, it exemplified serving, laying down rights to serve others, laying down privileges to serve others, giving, up, giving of himself so that someone else may benefit. This is what it says in Philippians 2. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, so serving starts with a mindset, as Christ Jesus, i.e. follow his example, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't consider his platform something to be used to his own advantage. And that's something we've got to remember, that the more influence you have, it's actually a greater opportunity for you to serve. The greater your platform, the greater the responsibility. Jesus did not consider everything he had a right to lord it over people. Instead, he used it as an opportunity to serve others. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Jesus is the ultimate model of servants he's the ultimate model of servanthood and God has desired that we would use what he's given us to to serve others in fact greatness in the kingdom of God it is measured completely counter to greatness in the world Greatness in the kingdom of God is actually the highest position that we ever attain to is that of a servant. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples about this. He said, you know the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. That's among us. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest position we'll ever achieve is that of a servant, you know. And we need to take that posture of servant everywhere we go. We need to take that posture in our workplaces. How can I serve my employees? How can I serve my co-workers? We need to take that posture in our families. How can I serve my wife? How can I serve my families? How can I serve my friends? How can I serve my communities? But we should definitely be looking to ask the question of how can I serve my local church? 
The church is the thing that God is building in this world. It's his bride. It's the, it's the way he expresses himself to the world. And if you are part of a church, the, your church needs you. If you're part of our church, our church needs you. We need your gifts. We need your talents. We need your unique blueprint. So I encourage you, if you are not serving, get involved with something this year. Get involved on a team. Come and talk to Samurai. Fill out a card. Do grow. Let us know. If you've got an idea about how you could serve the community, we would love to hear from you because we believe that God has put you here for a reason to use your gifts and talents to bless others. So commit to serving this year. I love how some churches in China welcome their new believers. This is what they say. They say, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart to heal others. Let's commit this year to living as a servant. And the final thing that we need to commit to to be found ready is we need to commit to giving. We need to commit to giving. You know, there is a war going on for your heart and there's something about money and possessions that can grab a hold of your heart like nothing else. And and I believe that is why Jesus talked about money and possessions so much because he knows that our hearts are at stake. He knows how much money and possessions can get a hold of our heart. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth i.e. don't make worldly wealth and accomplishments your primary pursuits where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. They're temporal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And then a few verses down in verse 24, he clarifies what he's talking about. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You notice he says you should not. He says you cannot. It is impossible to have a heart fixated on serving money and serving God at the same time. And there's something about money that just gets in there. And, and, and Jesus teaches that what happens is it chokes out our fruitfulness. It chokes out the fruit in our lives. Listen to what he says in the parable of the sower. He says, still others like seed among thorns hear the word, so they hear the good news, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. You know, God wants our heart and his remedy for um, actually having our heart, it's giving. It's honoring him financially. When we give to God, we acknowledge that he is number one in our lives in a practical way. We acknowledge that everything that we have in our lives comes from him. We acknowledge that he's sovereign. We acknowledge that although we're thankful for what we have, we're restoring his sovereignty back to him. You know, that is why the principle of tithing or percentage giving is so important because you're giving in proportion to what you have. And essentially you're saying, I have made a pre-made decision that everything that God gives me, my first and best is going to him. Every time I get an increase, my first and best is going to him. I'm really thankful for this increase I've got, but God, you are my source. Everything, my first and best is going to you. And it keeps him number one in your life. It breaks the shackles of materialism and wealth and and, and, and a tie to mammon off your life, and it liberates you to free God. It, it, it liberates you to serve God with your whole heart. We need to commit to giving and generosity. And often, like gathering, when it comes to gathering, we can look to justify it. We can look to say, well, now's not a good time. When I get to this level, then I'll start giving. If I had more, I'd start giving. But the truth is, is generosity isn't off limits to anyone. 
Because God doesn't measure generosity based on how much you give. He measures generosity on what you give in proportion to what you have. He measures generosity on the the level of sacrifice you make. So generosity is not off limits to anyone in the world because God never asks us to give what we don't have. He asks us to honor him with what we do have. And the truth is, is that if you are not generous with the little you have now, you will never be generous with the lot you have later. The the truth is, if you're not willing to give 10% of your paycheck, you'd never give 10% if you had a million dollars. It's just a myth. It, it, It is not true. God asks us to honor him with the little we have now. Luke 16, 10 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? If I can't trust you to honor me with what I've put in your hands, why would I trust you with true responsibility, you know? And the great paradox is, is when we give to God, he actually blesses us. He actually promises that he meets all our needs. He actually promises that he wants to provide for us so that we're equipped for every good work. He promises that we will be blessed to be a blessing, but he wants our hearts. He wants our devotion. He wants us reliant on him. You know, a great quote that I've heard that um, proves true in my life time and time again is, you will never come second best if you put God first. You know, this year, commit to giving. Commit to giving. And just as I come to a, a close, um, I'd just like to recap where I've been, but I would like to invite Jesse and Simone to, to come up to the stage. You know, Jesus urges us to live our lives ready, to live our lives ready, to live our lives expectant, to live our lives growing, to live our lives ready for his return. You know, a mark of being ready is to be found fully committed. It's to be found devoted. It's to be found at your post. It's to be found pursuing after him. It's to be found not lukewarm, but hot. You know, uh, we talked about three things that we need to commit to if we want to be found ready. We talked about gathering together, making that a rock in your life. I am committed to gathering together. We talked about serving, taking up that posture in all spheres. How can I serve others? How can I give? How can I serve my family? How can I serve my church? How can I serve my community? And we talked about committing to gathering, committing to honoring God with what you do have, with what he has put in your hand, and starting off that journey. And I really believe, I honestly believe that if if us as a community, if we commit to doing those three things, if we commit to gathering, if we commit to serving, and if we commit to giving and have those as staples, I really believe we'll be a completely different group of people at the end of the year. And I believe believe we'll we'll be vessels ready for God to use to share his glory to this town and this community. And so just as I close this morning, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. uh, And I just want to pray over us uh, as a church. Hmm. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're so beautiful. You're so awesome. You're so holy. And Lord, I thank you for the moment where we are all going to see you face to face. Lord, we want to be found ready. We want to be found faithful. We want to be found growing. And so, Lord, I just ask by your Holy Spirit that you would touch each of us, that you would reveal to each of us what you might be calling us into this year, what might be a next step, what might be something in our hearts that we need to surrender to you. 
Lord, I pray for your favor and your blessing upon each person here. May may it be a year where we live for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you.